Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Danny Brown Talks Phoenix. As always, I am your host, Danny Brown. And this week, I am joined by Tommy Mello of A1 Garage Door Service. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, appreciate having you. So, uh, you know, tell, tell me a little bit about yourself. And, you know, before we lose our audience uh, uh, talking about kind of garage doors, uh, <laughs> I, want, I want them to know that you, you're doing a ton of stuff. You've got a podcast, you've written a book. Um, so tell us uh, a little bit about what you're doing and, you know, how you find time to do all of these things. Yeah, well, you know, I love garage doors, obviously, A1 Garage Door Service. I, um, I grew up in Michigan. I moved out to Arizona when I was 16. And um, I just love, love being out here. I love the, it's a planned city. It's a beautiful state. And uh, right now we're in 15 states. Um, I'm at about 25 markets, 360 employees. And, uh, you know, our goal this year is to do 100 million. And, um, I think I could crush those numbers in the next few years and things, things are just, it's like we're playing chess and everyone else is playing checkers. I feel like, so, um, yeah, I just, I love golfing. I love bowling. I love darts. I love shooting pool. Um, I love going to movies. I have a lot of fun, but I, I love, I love business more than anything. So I coach a lot of people, um, enjoy business a lot. And, uh, I'm just, I love garage doors. <laughs> <laughs> so why garage doors? So, uh, you know, what took you down that path? You know, a buddy of mine asked me if I knew how to paint garage doors in 2005 and six. And uh, I learned that way. I started painting garage doors and then slowly started getting into the business. And, um, you know, people don't know this, but the garage door is 40% of your curb appeal. And um, it's the, in remodel magazine, it's the number one thing you could do to your home for, a return on investment. You get a hundred percent return on investment. And I trademarked the phrase, it's the smile of your home. So the garage is the smile of your home. So yeah, I, you know, I, I love garage doors, uh, but, but you know, home service is relatively the same, whether it's air conditioning, plumbing, roofing, painting. Um, the employees uh, are hard to come by these days because you're looking for somebody that could come into your home drug free, uh, obviously no clean background check. They need to be a clean driver and they need to be technical and operational savvy and they need to be willing to work um, nights and weekends. So it's pretty hard to find a really, really great employee, but we've done a good job with the culture here. We have a lot of fun. So I think that's the key. Very nice. So tell me a little bit about your podcast as well. It's uh, you know, what's it called? What do you guys talk about? Um, give me a little bit of insight on that. Yeah, it's called the home service expert. We, we talk a lot about how to build a home service business. Um, we're up to about 40,000 downloads a month now, which is super cool. Um, have people like Michael Gerber with the E-Myth on there. Um, really try to get high-end guests that uh, could really deliver lots and lots of value. There's no sales in the, the podcast whatsoever. So, you know, for the podcast, for me, it's like therapy, literally. I, I get so much from it. I get to ask the questions I want. We talk a lot about books and a lot about key performance indicators and technology and, and running a fleet and just everything that goes into home service. And basically anything from soup to nuts, from your call center to your dispatchers, to your technicians and how to hire right and how to build a culture. So we talk about on that podcast. So you're kind of nerding out on small business uh, centered around, around the home then. Oh yeah. Yep. That's exactly it. Yeah. And um, so it's, it's probably more than just kind of your sole proprietor, handyman, you know, solo guy. This is, this is for people that are looking to grow a business, have employees and, and really how to do it right. You know, yeah. Handyman Harry listens to it too. And, and the goal is to get these guys to start to build a business because right now they own a job. Um, if they're busy and the, working in the business every day, we've got to help them delegate properly and get some key performance indicators and a good CRM to help them run a real business and uh, grow something special. And we always start out as a technician and then we got to kind of catapult ourselves to the entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, my audience can probably appreciate that, I, that the biggest frustration with any sort of contractor or vendor cent centered around your home is one, getting them to call you back and two, probably getting them to show up on time. Um, and you kind of referenced the CRM. I, I think, I mean, we live and die by, by our CRM. So I think that that's, that's kind of huge for, for the contracting world and, and vendors to stay, stay on point and keep up with all of their stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I've got two CRMs. I use um, HubSpot and Service Titan, and I know everything. I know I've got 4,200 call tracking numbers. I know every campaign, what gets phone calls. We learned SEO, pay-per-click. We've got a uh, LSA, which is local service ads. I mean, I'm a marketing machine now. I actually, I got a master's degree in business. I didn't learn much from it compared to actually being in the business. And I always say I got a PhD because I'm poor, hungry, and determined. So uh, I like that. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, and then you got, you also wrote a book. Yeah, The Home Service Millionaire. Um, see, I got this thing up here, a little plaque that replicates the book. I got the book somewhere on the shelf. So I got a million of them, but. Yeah, the home service millionaire. It's just basically how I went from fifty thousand dollars in debt to, at that time, a thirty million dollar business. And um, really, I did it through trial and error. I made a lot of mistakes, but I got twelve co-authors in there. Um, it teaches you how to set up a CRM, how to do service agreements, how to sell with financing, how to uh, be able to read your financial statements, um, hire a players. I really took all my mistakes and tried to put lessons in there on, on the mistakes that I made. I got 12 really, really smart people to help. Now, when you were going through this and making the mistakes that you made in your business, did you have mentors help guiding you along the way? Or was this all just through trial and error and grit on your part? You know, the first 10 years was probably more trial and error and grit. And then I started asking for help about five or six years ago, hired a lot of people consulting, read a lot of great books, went through a lot of podcasts. I mean, you name it. And the more I went out and asked, the more I, I, I gained a ton of, of knowledge. I think the secret sauce to what I do is I'm the first guy to stop and ask for directions now. I'm literally like, I'm not going to go down the wrong. People have done the same mistakes. I, I'm not hard-headed like I used to be. I'm like, just tell me. <laughs> but I like to be the dumbest guy in the room now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. If I could tell my my younger self anything, it's it, it would be to not be so hard-headed, ask for help, ask for questions. There's people who have blazed trails before you and made all the errors, and they're willing to give you the answers if you just ask the questions. And an open mind and not just think you know the best answer. A lot of people have this conviction that they know the best is their business. They know it better than anybody. Uh, and I don't think that's the right answer. And the, the, to tell you the secret sauce is the, the opportunity to delegate. I delegate a lot of things and uh, I've actually got my steps of delegation on my desk. The uh, steps of delegation. It's uh, so here's my little eight step process. Um, here's what needs to get done. So you fill that in. Here's why it needs to get done. Here's what you have available to get it done. Here's the priority assigned to it getting done is when it needs to be done by Here's the meeting scheduled to check the progress being made. Here's the consequences. I, I do the, the carrot and the stick it, that there are for this project and they did the task, get done, get done appropriately and what's the opportunity we have for feedback. So having a methodology behind that and, and a lot of owners have this mentality of uh, if I don't do it, it won't get done the right way. And uh, that's no way to live, I'll tell you that. No one's gonna do it exactly like you that's why I'm up to 360 employees and, and in two years I'll have over 5,000 employees because I've understood the opportunity to delegate and uh, hire smart people, give them a manual, give them an org chart, give them a mission, vision, and core values to live by. And uh, that's what we do now. I think we're, we can compete on price, but really we're, we're fast and efficient. We have the best parts. We deliver a better value than any other company. And uh, through technology, no one's going to be able to keep up. Yeah, I mean, um, it really, that's a testament to, to your vision and your values and something that you said about, about delegation. I think, you know, we all have the same amount of time in the day. And if you're trying to be all things to all people, I think you're going to be mediocre at best. Um, and I've always operated with the philosophy that if I can have somebody do a project and if they can do it at, you know, 80 to 90% of the level that I can do it at, that's probably good enough. Well, or you could take someone that's making, you know, I figured out my hourly rate and it's thousands of dollars and I'm fortunate to be what's happened in the last couple of years. But if I can find somebody at $25 an hour that takes 10 times as long, it still saves me a lot of time and money. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so $25 an hour times 10, let's say, it's 250 bucks an hour. Now that's expensive, but it's still, my time's best meeting people, going after the vision, building relationships, 
and just being more of the passion and the fire behind the, the growth. Have you, have you found that doing that takes you away from any of the, the stuff that, that you loved when you first got into it or allows you to focus all of your energy and effort specifically on the things that you do love to do? Now, every day I've, I've literally hired around all my weaknesses and the things I don't like. So now I just have fun every day. It's like, I just barely got back into the office cause I was playing. We just got cruising USA cause I'm obsessed with video games. Not really <laughs> like old games. Like we've got big buck hunter and golden tea. And, um, I was setting a record and, uh, <laughs> I had a few guys there watching me and, uh, I get to have fun all day. I mean, literally like my job is, is I'm on a lot of podcasts. I'm talking to a lot of people, a lot of decision makers. I'm negotiating. I, I love what I do. I, I got to say, it's not even, it's this, I shouldn't get paid for what I do, but, um, you know, there was a time where I actually was losing money. So I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at right now. Sure. Well, and it's why you start your own business, right? I mean, that's the whole reason that you start your own business is so that one, you can get your time back and it gives you the ability then uh, to focus on what you like so that it is like playing all day long. Cause you're just doing the things in the business that you're good at and you hire to replace yourself in as many facets of the business as you can to, so that you're not spending any time or brain power on the stuff you hate. You know what I tell people is um, if I was to take you to Hawaii, I'm bringing your whole family, wife, the kids, the dog, we're going to Hawaii. Here's the catch. I mean, I pay for everything. I pay for the flight, the hotel, the volcano tours, the swim with the dolphins, you name it. I'm paying for all the food, the alcohol, everything. Um, I'm taking you tonight. You're not allowed to look at your phone or do anything business-wise. What does your business look like a month later when we come back? And very few people, very, very few could say my business looks bright. Um, I'm the opposite. My business looks a little bit better. I'm so hungry trying to grow so fast. The margins aren't quite what we want it to be, but also we we're up 120% um, this year on every single month. So you can't have the scalability of the growth and expect the margins of the profits. It's kind of like trying to get really bulky and gain muscle and trying to lean up at the same time. You can't have both. You can't do um, both. Yeah. It's really difficult. You'll get, you'll get a half a pound every six months if you try to do both. Um, so right now I'm trying to get bulky and big. Um, and then, and then we're going to have a year in about two years where I'm going to try to lean out a little bit. So you can get both at like 10, 10 12%. I mean, most companies, they want to be around 15% is, is, is a super healthy margin in the home service space. Is there a point where you, you feel like you could be too big and grow too fast? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that grow too fast. They make a lot of mistakes. Um, I've already gone down that route, made the mistakes, and I'm redoing it, and I'm doing it on a, a much tighter budget. Um, I'm going in a lot leaner into markets. I'm not going in to be number one. I'm going in to be two guys and slowly multiply. Um, there's a lot of things that need to happen in a new city when you grow greenfield or organically. It's uh, you got to build a reputation online. You got to, you know, there's so many little things that you do, like BNI meetings. That's Business Network International. You go to like the church and get them involved, and it, it's good to have that come from a small business of just a couple guys because as you get bigger, you lose those small things, but because you, you start to build referrals and build a great online reputation, but you need to go back to the basics when you get to a new market. And um, I learned that the hard way. I, uh, I had to close down four markets because we were losing money so fast in those markets that uh, it was literally like the death spiral in those markets. So I learned the hard way, like I do most things, but uh, I don't try to make the same mistake twice. Well, and, and it sounds like you're creating a system where you can kind of uh, copy and paste into each yeah company, right? yeah it's, 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 you know our trucks look this exact same they're set up that i got one van one truck that's the model truck and van um all the offices now is cookie cutter i order everything the same from amazon home depot and um costco it's all the same chairs same desks same computers it's literally you know i see a lot of companies that it doesn't look or feel the same as the next one and you're not getting the same results and um it's almost a franchise model without a franchise yeah, I mean, well, you want that for your client experience as well. So whether the client is working with you here or they move states and you're located there and they're working with your company there, they're having that same experience. I mean, big companies do this all the time. You walk into a Target, all their shit's in the same place. 
Yeah. You know, you go into any different target, you know where everything is. Uh, it'd be really annoying if you walked into the same store in a different location and everything was in opposite places. Um, so I think, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing. Um, uh, the guy, uh, the guy who ran Apple, why am I having a moment? Here? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. He only wore turtlenecks because he didn't have to spend any brain power thinking about what to wear the next day. It was just the same thing all the time. So kind of, kind of the same philosophy. You know, I was on a podcast earlier and I brought up Steve Jobs because, um, Right before he died, he said the number one ability at Apple, the reason why they were so successful is the reason, the ability to say no. They had a vision and they, they didn't take detours. They were focused. It was tunnel vision. And um, I think that's a huge strength. And I read uh, Gary Keller, The One Thing. And then there's another book uh -huh. called Essentialism. And it says, I started getting rid of all the distractions, like flipping houses and investing in this and buy a boat as you start to clear out and just start seeing the, the vision. And if you keep your eye on the ball, you know, a guy told me one time, I said, I put my eggs in a lot of different baskets because what if one basket falls? And he said, can you imagine, Tommy, if you put all your eggs in one basket, how quick it would overflow? And um, that was a good lesson for me because now I'm really, really focused on this one thing. And, um, you know, we're going to change an industry. We're going to change the game. And, uh, and have a lot of fun doing it and change a lot of lives in the process. So I, I think we want to be America or North America's largest and most trusted browser company, one neighborhood at a time. And uh, it's going to happen because I fail a lot, but um, I'm not going to fail in the big picture. I, I get back up. You know, I always say I fall down, I get back up. I fall down, I get back up. But the, uh, the DUI task enforcement officer didn't appreciate that about me. No, <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that that there's value in what you said and just focusing in on one one thing, you know, and going really deep at that one thing instead of, um, you know, operating and going, you know, three inches over a, a large span, you're going hyper-focused on one individual thing and going super deep into that one item. And that affords you to be, you know, you will be the best in the industry because you're just so hyper-focused on that one thing. But a lot of people, like, they, they make a lot of money. And then they start saying, well, there's other opportunities when you have money, but they neglect the thing that brought them the money. The core business is what brought you. Imagine if you reinvest all of it back into there and don't buy the, the four-wheelers and the, the new jet skis and everything else, that second home and, you know, Flagstaff. Put the money back into the business, especially the first decade. And it multiplies. It literally grows so fast. But every time you pull out to buy something, people go like this. Well, we deserve it. We worked our butts off for this. We deserve, you don't deserve anything. I mean, literally, like, don't get me wrong. Like, yes, we worked hard. But your company did that for you. And, and, and you should reward the company and get 10 times. I won't say you don't deserve it, but I call it delayed gratification. I just love people that they condone everything and they live in debt. And they say, well, you know, we deserve a new car. You don't even own a house. You know, we made 25% on our houses and I got an apartment in this building and, and like let money work for you. That's the definition of wealth. Robert Kiyosaki says it in rich dad, poor dad. I mean, it's one of the books that I think every kid should read. And um, I think it's called delayed gratification of saying, look, I, I'm going to still have a lot of fun, but I'm going to go rent a boat for a weekend, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's absolutely something to be said about that. And, and I do think that we've been raised in a society where we want everything and we want it now. Nobody's willing to wait for anything. Um, and you know, that delayed gratification, that putting the money back into the business, you know, maybe not paying yourself uh, for a while. And, and you're right. You, you absolutely don't deserve it. It's, it's, by delaying that you're setting yourself up for hopefully a, a brighter future down the road. Yeah. Um, it's compound interest. I said it the best, the, the most powerful thing in the universe is compound interest. I think everybody's read the book, Tim Ferriss, uh, four hour work week. Oh, for sure. And these kids, they're 19, they read it and they go, well, I just want to work four hours. I, I was just with Gary Vandercheck a few weeks ago and he's like, these kids, they literally, literally think, like, I don't want to work. I, I don't want the same life my dad or parents had. But you have to. You're not going to get a bunch of virtual assistants to run your, like, it's good to have a dream, 
but you got to get your dream into a vision and then you got to put that on paper and then have a go time plan. I took my, I took my next four or five years and I wrote it on the whiteboard what my goal was revenue wise. And I said, how do I reverse engineer that into a scalable model of what I needed to do? Not this year, not this month, but what I need to do today and tomorrow to make that happen. And I, I literally figured it all out. I said, I'm going to need a training center. I'm going to need a recruiting staff. I'm going to need a learning management system. I'm going to need checks and balances, a better CRM. I mean, I, I had to go to work, but at least I had the, the vision became a to-do list. And I think that's where a lot of people fail is they got these grand plans to do all these things, but they don't know where to get started. And their day gets literally stolen from them every single day because they become firefighters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I still feel like that sometimes that I go kind of putting fire out after fire. And then before I know it, it's five o'clock. I'm like, what did I accomplish today? I the didn't day get... is literally taken from you. Yep. Completely it, lost. It, you know, I get bored sometimes because everything's so, there's not a lot of fires here. I still got a couple of firefighters, but I'm like, you go into work Sunday night. You're like, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, but I'm sure something will come up. And that's just not the way to run a successful business. You got to go in with a plan. I've got a printout on my desk, my perfect work week. I, I, I look at this and I've got it mapped out what I should be doing from hour to hour. Uh, and I do my best to, to stick to that perfect work week, week after week, so that I can get everything done that I need to get done. Yeah, you know, I, I live and breathe by my calendar and I tell a lot of people, let, let's make a daily activity log and let's really break down every time we get distracted from the big things you're supposed to get done that day. And then let's fix the process of why did that happen? Why did that come to you? Why don't you have anybody you could delegate that to? If not, there's no depth in the company and we need to build depth, meaning that more than one or two people know that particular job and how to do it. And, um, like I said, is I just, I take a lot of advice. I, I try to be the dumbest guy in the room and I listen to people that are, I want to go to a billion dollar company. I go to these places all the time and I'm like, okay, that's how that runs. That's how they run that meeting. That's what they do there. And uh, success leaves clues all over the place. Sometimes you just got to be able to look down and see it. I mean, I want to be the dumbest guy in the room on my own team. I want to hire people who are smarter than I am. If I'm the smartest person in the room when it comes to, you know, running our ads and our marketing, then we're in trouble. Yeah. I'm the smartest guy in the room when it comes to running our, you know, our P and L's, uh, you know, and looking where all the, the, our finances are going, we're, we're definitely in trouble. Um, so I, I, I take it one step further and I want to be the dumbest guy on my team. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of people that have a little bit too much pride and they say no one's as good as me. And I really think that's a huge mistake because they want to be, they are blocking themselves from success. And um, it's not, there's nothing wrong with being confident in what you know how to do, but literally my goal is it's, it's my dream. And um, I want to get out of the way and let them do the work. Most of the time the owner becomes the roadblock or the bottleneck. It's funny you say that I went on vacation once. And, and when I came back, a couple of people on my team said that, you know, things went great while you were gone. We figured out why we get into some trouble sometimes. And it's because of you, like you're the biggest obstacle on the team from time to time. And that, and that was kind of a reality check for me to get out of the way and let these guys do their job. I, I, I hate it because I pull people off and I need them sometimes and I pull them out of the core. But, but the deal is, is if everything goes right, there's an opportunity I'm working on that could be $10 million net per month. And I'm like, I don't want to take the whole team off of this, but I'm going to need some attention just because there's things I don't know about the system. Um, that's way more detailed than I want to know. I'm more of a macro guy. And it, it's tough. You got to figure out, is it juice worth the squeeze? You got to do project management. You got to know how big of the, is the opportunity? How much time will it take? And then you got to AB test it. And, um, Luckily, it's easy for me to do these things now. I mean, five years ago, it would have been like, I didn't know what a KPI meant, a key performance indicator. I had no idea. Uh, now I'm like, I'm talking in this different, it's almost like Morris code or something. But to me, it all makes sense. And, and you just started using these lingo and you hang out with successful people. And, you know, it's just, it's fun. It's really fun. It's interesting. And I'm learning more every day. And I think the ability to network and meet amazing people is, is a skill that, uh, there's a good book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And, yeah. And that book is one to live by. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the highest 
I sold book uh, next to the Bible. Yep. Yeah. So that is, that is definitely a good, good read that anybody that's getting into business should absolutely uh, look into that. They and and they, yeah. you know, they say you take on the traits of the five people that you hang out with the most. And I think that that's a hundred percent true. And, you know, everybody might not be in your position where they can afford to go to probably some of these really expensive mastermind groups. Not everybody can sit down with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, he charges a lot for his time as he should, but you can listen to his podcast, you can read his books and you can take on the traits and get the same lessons if you're just willing to exactly. get exactly and find those people. Yeah. That's what they say. Take your five closest people that you spend the most time with had their incomes up divided by five. That's probably within 10% of your income. The way you change that is reading more books. You're literally hanging out with Steve jobs when you listen to his books and you read everything he does. If you do that 10 hours a week, I don't necessarily think you could jump to the billionaire status that easy, but it'll start to mold and shift over time. And before you know it, after a few years, you're there making millions. What are some of the podcasts? And, you know, you already mentioned some books. Um, I would imagine a guy that's as busy as you are um, probably doesn't have as much time to read as he'd like. I I'm huge on podcasts. I'm huge on books on tape because I, you know, in real estate, I spend a lot of time in my car. What are some podcasts that uh, you gravitate towards on, on the regular basis? You know, I, I, it's bad because I don't listen to as many podcasts as I should. Sometimes I listen to Tim Ferriss or, or Joe Rogan. But um, I'll tell you, I'm obsessed with Audible. I, I'll show you something real quick here. I, I read probably more than I should. Actually. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm the opposite. I'm huge into podcasts. Oh. <laughs> you of those. That's huge. Are. Yeah. 926. It's it's um. Right now, I just re-downloaded the book, Built to Last. Um, there's this book by Bob Pfeiffer. If you guys want to get your life changed, um, this book, I just got it about a month ago. A guy that just sold his business for $300 million, It's called Double Your Profits in Less Than Six Months by Bob Pfeiffer. 76 Ways to Cut Costs and Increase Sales. And, dude, this book is transformational. If you actually do it. A lot of people read it and they don't do. This book will bring you back profit. That's the thing when it comes to reading is it, you can read and read and read, but if you don't implement, if you just put the book on the bookshelf, once you finish read, reading and go about your bad habits that you've had, you're, you're never going to get anywhere. Exactly. So I want to, I want to just kind of rewind a little bit and you were talking about garage doors and that you get the highest return on your investment based on your garage door. Um, I know this is like totally switching gears, but I kind of want to hone in on that, you know, being that I run a real estate team, I've never heard that before. Um, and I constantly have clients asking, you know, what's the best return on investment that I can do for my home. And I'm always, you know, kitchens and bathrooms. Uh, so talk to me a little bit more about garage doors. Well, remodel magazine does a study each year on, on, you know, outdoor and indoor things that you can do to your home to get the best investment. And garage doors is always the top one. Um, it's always right there between 98 and 102%. And they say the average garage door is over three grand if you want something insulated. Um, I'll tell you what, it could really change the way a house looks. The insulation saves anywhere from three to $500 a year if you've got an insulated garage and um, an air conditioning unit that you're using a lot. And, and it varies depending on how much your doors open. That's why they got openers that'll close automatically after a few minutes. You know, Amazon Prime's now able to do a one-time code to deliver in your garage. A lot of people don't know about that. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I have this theory that Amazon will come out with an Amazon refrigerator in the next few years. And literally you'll get all your fresh, anything you want, beer, dog treats, everything will come into that fridge and they'll load it up for you and it'll be your common goods. And you close it, it'll know if you use something, it'll restock it. And that's gonna be not too far away. I think the reason they're leaving access to the garage is this is gonna be, Amazon's gonna continue to rise. It's, it's, it's a crazy company. And um, I just think technology is changing. I think technology is going faster than men could keep up with. So I don't think things are going to change overnight. I don't think there's going to be flying cars or cars driving themselves here as quick as people think. Um, but, but stuff's happening. I mean, it's, it's happening behind the scenes. It's just, we're not ready for the changes so fast because now it becomes um, exponential. 
So exponential growth means it starts severe like this, but we're always on this plane like this. So what's that hockey stick analogy, right? Yeah. The hockey stick is, that's what's going on right now. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's funny. So we moved into a new house and, and, uh, I will, this is the first home. Well, this is the first time in my adult life since I've had a driver's license that I've parked in a garage. Um, my previous two houses had carports. And then when I was 16, my parents took the garage and I had to park outside. Uh, so on this house, we, ha- we, ha- we get to park in a garage and it does have that feature with Amazon and my wife hated it. She did not like it at all that somebody could come by and just open our garage and have access to our house. She made me turn it off. You know, for me, it's, it's, it's better than just leaving something expensive outside. I think. Oh, I agree. But I can understand that. That's why I would keep the garage door, you know, locked. But I, you know, I don't think a lot of people have expensive things in the, you know, me, me, you know, that's why they got the camera system built into the new lift masters is it shows where the guy comes in and yeah, all that stuff is trackable. Yeah. I, I think she's going to have to get on board with where technology is. <laughs> Changing fast, man. It's crazy. Yeah. What are your thoughts on those glass garage doors? The one that uh, have the windows? We sell a lot of them. We sell a lot, a lot of them. I'll, I'll, let me see if um, we're talking here. I'll show you something um, real quickly. I just got to go. Let me see if I got some notifications. Go to my I, profile. I love the way that they look on uh, on houses. I'm just wondering how. Uh... Oh, dude, that's the best thing. Let me just show you this. Um, I'll go to share screen. Hopefully I'm allowed to here. You got to enable it and the uh, permissions. Uh, Abigail, are you paying attention? Do you want to share screen? You just got to give me the, uh, there we go. Look at how quick that worked. <laughs> so you see this before and after. Oh my, wow. That is a big difference. Look at how sexy that thing is. Yeah. I mean, that's a full view glass door. I, I could do any tone. I, this isn't a sales pitch or anything, but I just think it literally, people drive by that and they're like, I sold 10 doors from this house. Send 10 of those same doors. I'm sure. This is just, it just, a lot of people are calling me up now and they're like, I don't need a new door, but I kind of want one since I made so much money on my house. I think it'll make a big difference. Have you seen with, uh, with COVID over the last year, your business kind of skyrocket? Do yeah. You, yeah. It, it seems that everything having to do with the home over the last year and a quarter has just shot through the roof. You know, we're getting a bidding war. I've tried to flip some houses. I just got a guy. I, I'm just the money. Um, I'm like the uh, angel investor or whatever. No, what do they call that? The... Uh, Whatever, I just put the money in, they do all the work and I, I take a pretty healthy profit out of it. And we can't even find anything. We're overbidding for stuff. And, and you know, they're, they're, they just do a lot of remodels. And I'm like, man, this is nuts. And I really don't, I, I talked to a couple of economists and I, I don't believe that this is the crash of 2008. I don't believe the loans are bad. I just don't see it with all the money being put into the economy. I'm not expecting, I'm expecting the next couple of years to be great unless you know what they say out for the best plan for the worst type thing for sure and and i'm with you i mean i follow economists i'm in this every single day and i don't see a bubble at all um you know it's all just based on supply and demand and the demand really isn't any higher than it than it has been it's only about 10 percent above normal it's the supply that's super low i do see some you know, people that are just looking for clickbait that'll run YouTube videos and run ads about an incoming crash and how they see a flood of inventory hitting the market. But I just, I don't know where that's going to come from or, or, you know, even if you saw, there's so few homes for sale in Phoenix, it's somewhere between three and 4,000 homes that even if we saw in a short period of time, 10,000 homes hit the market in, in a month, we're still at, at, a severe lack of inventory at those numbers. Well, what they're saying is this um, between the Trump and the Biden administration supplementing because of Biden, the, the rent and just letting people stay in the home without, if they're willing to pick up the whole cost of all that and it won't. But if, if the landlord ends up kicking people out because of a year of rent, maybe in September, you're going to see an influx of 
houses come on the market and the supply will go up, demand will start to even out. I, I think it's a great opportunity to buy if that does happen. But we'll Oh, see. I agree with you. I, I do think that we're going to see inventory increase over the next you know, six to 12 months, especially as the vaccine rolls out. Um, I, so I do foresee that happening. We've also seen an increase in, in mortgage rates over the last few weeks. Uh, so whenever you see an increase in mortgage rates, you see a, a downward pressure on demand and an increase in inventory. So what I do. Is, what think, is the mortgage rates? Uh, I think they're hovering around three, five right now. Shoot. <laughs> I'm just remembering something. I doubt I did it. Are you in crypto at all? Uh, I bought uh, Coinbase when uh, when they came out, and I'm heavily down on that. <laughs> is it down? It is down. It's down uh, from when they uh, did their direct listing. I think they came out at 381, and I think they're down to like 350. Wait, what did you say it came out at? 381 a share. Oh, 350. Coinbase stock price. It's gonna, it's gonna, dude. Don't worry about it. It's one of those things. Facebook did the same thing. Oh, for I'm sure. I'm gonna go in strong in it. That's what I, I have. A couple million in crypto and uh, Bitcoin and, and a couple others. So very nice. I, I truly believe that. Um, there, I don't, do, do not take my uh, investment, guys. This is not disclaimer here. <laughs> uh, but I think it's it's gonna run. I, I didn't get involved in that Dodge Dogecoin, but. I don't know if that one is is going to be around forever. I think the the interesting play is the Ethereum uh, because they're building the platforms for blockchain to allow other companies to come in and and use that technology to to build off of. So I, I'm very bullish on that. Um, well, Ethereum's will... good. Ripple. I've heard a lot of good things about. I've also heard the the you know a guy that that works with me here said. Um, Stellar Lumen is 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 going to do some big things. You know, I don't know if this thing's a bubble like the dot com era. I just don't know if all these are going to run, but it's definitely starting. Like, dude, you know, Bitcoin's going to hit a hundred thousand this year. I mean, it's it's like almost a given. So, what's the new gold? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And when it hits around two hundred and forty thousand, it'll be equivalent to gold. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's just wild. Yeah, I have not uh, ventured onto that playground. The closest I've got is is investing in Coinbase. And I, I think you're right. I, I don't buy stock to, I'm not a day trader. I invest in the things I like and the things that I think are going to do good over the next, you know, five to 10 years. You know, I might, I might go big into that. I got a guy coming in tomorrow that works with my investments. I wouldn't mind keep picking up a couple thousand shares. Yeah. Because if I, mean, I did that... And that thing runs to like 10 G's or something. And they're probably split or something. You just know that because that's, that's, it's kind of like you don't want to be in the 1860s when there was a gold rush of, in California. You didn't want to be the guy looking for gold. You wanted to be the guy that supplied the shovels. And Coinbase is the shovel. Yeah, so, that's right. That's right. Um, you you want to be Levi Strauss providing the jeans, you know, that's for, right. for the miners. You so. know, there's a good book if you get a chance. Um, I don't know if I, yeah, this is, uh, it's up in here in the corner. It's called The Clipper Ship Strategy. And I haven't talked about this book in 10 years. Um, but in the 1860s, they had these things called clipper ships. And what happened was, Clipper ships could travel from New York to California. And basically they might pay 10 cents for a pair of shoes. And I don't remember the exact prices, but they were worth six to eight times more in California because of supplies. So the Clipper ships could get there in three days. So they're very, very fast. But they, what they know is there's pockets and it teaches you to be around the pockets that's pouring money. The federal government pours money into pockets of the United States. So do investors. And it's figuring out where those pockets are. And it's all, man, I'm going to like, visit it. I'm glad, I'm glad I talked about this. I mean, I'm obsessed with books. I could probably talk about a hundred more. Well, um, I'm glad. I mean, 10 books since we sat here. It's like, uh, I don't want to invest in, in weed directly, but I want to invest in the companies supplying the fertilizer too. Yep. It's yeah. the same exact concept of that. And, and you know, to me, there's a lot of money in marijuana and I, I own a couple of cannabis stocks, but overall, 
I think you're a little bit late to the party. I think that the, the, the things are is, is the ability to stay connected and have an ear out there. What's, I wish I would have knew, knew about Bitcoin when a lot of other people heard about it. I, I, I just, I didn't, I, I was so busy working <laughs> that I didn't well, even catch on. Do you think, I mean, some of that's easy just looking backwards that's easy to say i mean we all had the opportunity to invest in amazon when it was nothing and well yeah i mean look i, I gotta tell you i didn't have a lot of money to invest back then anyway but i, I think that um if i would have heard what i what i knew about it i just didn't hear about it i guess i'm very fortunate i shouldn't be complaining because i put a lot of money in the right places and i've rode a lot of waves and um the biggest thing that I could tell you is there's this crazy word that I've learned to love called arbitrage. Mm -hmm. And I buy companies at three to five times multiples and I'm worth 15 to 20 times. So it's literally creating, I might buy it from you and sell it here for five times more. That's exactly how businesses work. And it's, you don't learn this. They teach it on wall street and it takes years. A lot of young 30 year olds are learning this stuff and they're CFOs now and they're learning how to be a platform company. And that's what I am. And so my plan is to just, as a platform, just buy another grocery company, show them my methodology, show them our hiring skills, teach them the ethics and values that we have. And it's like printing money. It's better than selling drugs. Literally, this is the craziest, <laughs> this is the craziest thing you've ever seen because if you buy a $300,000 profit company, you're buying it for 1.5 million and that's a, good, that's a good amount for them to sell it for. Um, I could turn that into a million dollar profit company and get 18 times. So what I just paid 1.5 million, I'll bring to 18 million within a year. And if you do that a hundred times, that's 1.8 billion. And that's how you start really making money. And then you're, you're, the money's working for you the whole time as well. So, so it's a fun little, it's a fun little thing to, for the, the listeners out there is look into arbitrage and anything you're able to take. I used to buy Bowflexes from Craigslist and sell them on the Arizona Republic. I made a small fortune doing this. Then I did it with total gyms. <laughs> smart. That's smart. That would have been really smart during COVID too. Nobody could get their hands on any of that at home gym equipment. That stuff was so expensive and hard to find. You know, the, the, the signs are all around us. I knew zoom was going to run because you just knew there was going to be more of this stuff going on sure. meeting from home. And, and sometimes the easiest things is just snow, slow down and look and just ask a lot of questions and start thinking, start thinking about what makes common sense. And a lot of times I think Warren Buffett said it the best. He's just involved in really three or four big, 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 heavy investments because he just knows what makes sense. Well, you see an opportunity and you know, you go all in. I'll never forget when I was, when I first got into real estate was in 2007 and the market was crashing all around us. And I met this guy who had pulled all his money out of his 401k, just a normal guy. He had been saving and saving and saving his entire life. And he was just buying bank-owned properties as, as much as he could get his hands on. And I remember asking him, you know, what, why are you doing this? You pull all your money out of your 401k and you're buying these things and they're still losing value. And he's like, I don't care that they're still losing value. What I care about is it costs more to build the house than what I'm paying for right now. So at some point in time, the market's going to correct itself and it's going to go up. So he didn't care very, about the short-term losses. And, and all of a sudden, as a you know, 25-year-old, this light bulb, I had this light bulb moment that uh, you know, if you just pay attention and look around and slow down a bit, the signs are out there. You just kind of have to think outside the box and be a little bit smarter than the other guy. That's so true. You know, land does not really depreciate. It's the house on the land that tends, like, believe it or not, an older house needs new faucets. It needs new electricity. So the land, very rarely you'll find unless there's something wrong with the area. And that has to do with, with just more of the infrastructure issues. But um, the land itself, we're not printing land. There's no way. That's one thing good about Bitcoin is there's only 21 million shares available or coins available. And they say it's mineable until like 21... I think 34. Um, so the, it, the fact that it's capped means that it appreciates faster. Sure. And yeah, there's right. a finite you know, resource. Right. Unlike U.S. dollars. 
now. <laughs> Obviously, where we can just keep printing it. You know, there's certain people that believe, and mostly on the left, and, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but they believe we continue to print as long as the dollar is the uh, world currency and, um, and we're the world power. There's, no, there's nothing that can happen. Um, I don't know how much I believe in that or not, but it's the theory. Well, that's one of the fears with crypto is that that could derail the U.S. dollar as the world's currency. I mean, this is all just human belief. As long as we all, as a society, continue to believe that a dollar is worth a dollar. Well, inflation's happening. I had two vodka tonics a couple of weeks ago, and it was 16 bucks a piece for Tito's and tonic. And I go, I'm happy to pay it. I mean, I just, it's starting to show, like, everywhere I go, I'm seeing it. And a lot of people don't, they just, yeah. they don't know what's going on. And, and I was the first one to raise our prices because I'm like, the manufacturer raised our prices four times this year. Like literally a two by four costs three times what it costs. A, a, a four by eight piece of uh, wood, uh, what do they call that? The particle wood for the roofs. Went from $8 to $55 in the last, in a year. Eight to 55. It's insane. Everything's going up. Yeah. Shortage, yeah. not and on top of a shortage. Well, inflation is definitely here. I mean, my grocery bill has gone way up in just the last three or four weeks. Uh, it, I'm not buying any more or l less food. It's just the cost of goods is, has, is increasing across the board. So I, I think we're already seeing that inflation take place. Um, it's interesting to me that economists, when they calculate inflation, though, they don't count food gas or commodities as part of inflation. So I don't know what they're calculating it on, um, but I, I think inflation's already here. That is, gas is going through the roof and guess what? We gotta raise our prices when gas goes up. We've got vehicles we're driving 100, 150 miles a day sometimes. Yeah. Like, like the consumer's gotta pay for this stuff. We don't, like the, the businesses aren't there to lose money. And that's what nobody understands is, geez, I could buy it on Amazon for that. Do you understand that we have how many things go into getting a call from marketing to dispatching, to answering the phones, to a CRM, to a vehicle, to drug tests, to background checks, to, to buying the parts, to the, running the warranty calls, to, to actually staying in business. I, I can never, if you really think about it, do you know what your pizza costs? It's under a dollar. It really is. You build, you get some flour, you build the crust, you get a little bit of sauce, pepperoni and a little bit of cheese you're under a buck but you're glad to pay twenty dollars and people don't complain about their bar bill they don't complain about their pizza bill but they tend to complain about stuff that they could oh i went on amazon i could get it for cheaper then do it yeah i'd be happy for you to do it you're not the type of customer i want anyway yeah i, I mean i'm in that industry where the first thing uh, any realtor does is they cut their price that that's how they compete that's the only way they know how to compete is to cut their pricing. And I face that every day in my industry. So I know exactly, exactly what you mean. And, you know, we have refused to cut our prices. We don't discount our prices. We don't discount our service. And that means the people that we're working with truly value what we're doing. Um, well, you got to bring a value. Most of the people yeah. that cut, people want it done fast. They want it done right. And they want it done for a good price or value and their value is not worth it. You know, it's literally self-doubt is why people can't charge. They don't bring anything extra, so they got to make it about price. There's a great book called uh, Relevant Selling by Jamie uh, Smith, Janie Smith. And I'm going to read to you a couple of things it says in there. Um, blah, 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 blah. Let's see here. Uh, right here. Here we go. I text a lot of crap. <laughs> All right, here you go. Um, I speak to CEO groups nationally. I always ask them to rank their competition from one to 10. 10 being they got lots of comp competition. About 75% say nine or 10, and a few of them say 13 to 20, meaning that there's just, you know, out, out, of, out of your scale. How could you ever win the price game? Someone will always go lower. You know what I mean? And it says, put yourself in the customer's shoes. Be your customer. 
What good is a lower price if the order doesn't get here in time of the production run? What good is a lower price if I get the wrong parts? What good is a lower price if I call 15 minute times to get the order? What good is a lower price if my supplier goes out of business? What could, what will it cost me to find someone else? What good is a lower price if the widget or gadget or system I ordered doesn't work as promised? What good is a cheaper contractor who doesn't show up to manage their subs? I mean, if, if it's literally price you're looking for, then you're going to get, I remember I shopped a long time ago when I bought my house 2012. I got the best deal on the the patio. I had to redo it three years later. And it cost me a lot more to make the mistake. And, and you know, how much is your time worth? Exactly. I ask people, listen, you know, the garage door torsion tube is a timeline of every time you had a new spring put on. And I always say, wow, looks like this is your fourth one. How long have you been here? So you're just okay getting trapped in here. Uh, I want to fix it. And I got parts that literally last I've got trademark parts that last eight times as long as another company's. And, you know, I don't sell it for eight times the price. I don't even sell it for double the price, but uh, you know, that the trademark, believe it or not, they didn't, the, the lawyers didn't give it to me for free. They were, they were like, Oh, we'll donate our time for your trademark. No, that's not how it works. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to wrap things up, you know, I, I want to just ask you one kind of last question Yeah. For, people, for entrepreneurs, for small business owners who are just getting started who maybe don't have the, the ability to arbitrage, don't have the ability to delegate as much, what sort of advice do you have for them? All right, the best advice you'll ever get is right now, right here, pay attention. <laughs> um, get out there to a company you wanna become. Find somebody, get out of, travel out of the state. Do not do it the way you're around your, 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 your wife or your husband or your family, leave town. Get as far away as you could. I'd advise, you know, if you're in Arizona, go to New York or get to Philadelphia or Florida, somewhere far. Write down, get a notebook and write down a million questions. And when you go into this business that you want to become or this, whatever it's coaching or real estate, breathe it in. Breathe in the same oxygen. Drink the Kool-Aid. Do everything you could and learn what they're doing. And all you got to do, the, the success leaves clues everywhere. You just look around and you take notes and learn what they're doing. And all you're trying to do, you're not the first one to do this. So go around somebody and breathe the same air and say, wow, this is exactly what I need to do. And believe it or not, the people that are doing those things are more than willing to share. Uh, they feel like they got to pay it back. I do it all the time. I must have 15 companies a week coming through my business. And I'm excited to do it. I'm excited to watch other people grow. And I'm excited to be that incubator for them. So get out of your comfort zone Learn who you want to become and then make it happen. I think too often we say tomorrow we're going to start a diet. Tomorrow we're going to quit smoking. Start right now. If that's your goal and find a bigger why. You know, I have a hard time going to the gym. So I hired a trainer to come to me. Now I work out every freaking day when he's here. So I figured out ways to kind of just force myself. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that's, that's wonderful advice. And this was a, a really fascinating conversation that uh, covered quite the gambit. So I appreciate your we time. Did. Yeah. yeah cool. <laughs> I know you're a busy guy. Uh, so hopefully we can have another one of these conversations in the future. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and again, thank you for the time. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks everybody for tuning in. This has been another edition of Danny Brown talks Phoenix, and we will catch you next time. Just wanted to say a quick thank you to all of you who tuned in for this episode of Danny Brown talks Phoenix. I know there are many podcasts out there and I truly appreciate that you chose to listen to mine. If you go ahead and subscribe and leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Lastly, I wanted to remind you that this episode was brought to you by Myriad Real Estate Group. So if you ever have any questions about real estate or looking to buy or sell in the Phoenix area, please visit myriadaz.com, which will be linked in the description. Thanks again for tuning in to Danny Brown Talks Phoenix.